So uh, we're moving from radical hair choices um, to radical responses to Jesus. And over the summer, we're running a series called Jesus, Man of Action. And we're looking at some of Jesus' life and work from the Gospel of Mark. And in the coming weeks, we'll be looking at what Jesus said and what he did, including healings, including feeding thousands of bringing deliverance and preaching truth wherever he went. Jesus had waited until he's 30 years old. He's waited all this time, and now he announces who he is in word and deed. Mark 1, verse 15, Jesus says, The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. We know what it's like, don't we, to be waiting for a freedom day to come. For all those who are willing to pay attention, Jesus shows that the kingdom of God has come near. And as we read the Gospel of Mark, we see that it's fast-paced. After this announcement, he's backing it up with action. In a few short verses, we see Jesus calling people to follow him, driving out demons, healing, praying. And now, as we're going to be looking at our passage, he's proclaiming the forgiveness for sins. The way is clear for everyone to come near to God if you repent and believe the good news. This is true today. Whatever situation you are in, the call to faith in Jesus goes out to all. The invitation is for all of us, and it is for now. We're going to look today at one scene where the fact that the kingdom is near is powerfully illustrated. We're going to read from Mark chapter 2, and we'll come up on the screen. There we go, Mark 2 verse 1. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. Since they could not get get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it, and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, "'Son, your sins are forgiven.'" Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take up your mat and walk? I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone and they praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this. Let's pray together. Lord, we do thank you for the truth of your words. We thank you that we can come today and hear your truth. I pray that we would have hearts that are receptive to what you would say and do amongst us, and that we would have the boldness to respond. We pray, won't you be at work now? Amen. Amen. So the title for today's preach is Through the Roof, and Jesus is looking to provoke a radical response of faith, as he did for those four men who brought their friends to Jesus. They aren't the only ones, actually, who made a radical response to Jesus that day. 
There were those teachers of the law who said of Jesus, you're not God, you're a liar. There were those who were probably more concerned about the giant hole in the roof than they were about the words of life that Jesus offered. Those that are ambivalent to Jesus are also making a radical response. They're saying, I don't need you. And this is a huge call. Jesus provokes a response, but the one thing he doesn't allow is a neutral response. He wants to provoke a radical response of faith in him and who he is. So let's, let's have a look. Firstly, we encounter the radical faith of these four men. Jesus' popularity was growing. Word was spreading more and more. People coming, crowding in to see Jesus do the miraculous. The four guys were carrying their friend who was unable to walk. They were desperate to see Jesus. But when they tried to get to him, they couldn't get close. If you've recently tried to get into the Sangbanks car park on a Saturday morning when it's hot and sunny, you'll know the feeling. There's no way through. There's no way you can get to where you want to go. They may well have, there may well have been others in a similar position trying to get close to Jesus, but they just turned around, tried another day. But these four didn't give up. They got creative. They went up onto the roof of the house. And this would be quite dramatic for us, climbing up onto uh, someone's roof. But in, in the time of Jesus, uh, there were stairs at the side of the house. People would often go onto the roofs to, to pray, to eat, to, to dry laundry. So it isn't as radical, maybe, as we might think. But nevertheless, they, would broke, they broke through that ceiling. It was made of mud and straw. Um, so it would have taken work, but again, it wouldn't be quite as dramatic as, as we would think. If someone put a great big hole in our roof, then we'd probably be quite annoyed. But here, there may have been some inconvenience, but it was nowhere near the vandalism that we might be picturing. But nevertheless, we see that these four didn't want anything to get in the way of them coming to Jesus. We don't actually know much of what they believed about Jesus, but we do see them bringing him, uh, their friend to him because they believed that Jesus could do something. They knew that Jesus was a man of action and could not ignore a friend being lowered down through the roof in front of him. We come across this phrase in verse 5. It says, Jesus saw their faith. Jesus saw their faith. Jesus loves a heartfelt response of faith. He's not after a perfect, unwavering faith that has no doubts. And even just a quick look through the Bible shows us this. We see Abraham trying to fulfill God's promise in his own way. We see Moses asking God to send someone else. We see Peter denying and deserting Jesus. And so if you're here today and think, I'm not cut out for this, there's no way that I can attain the standard that's needed, well, you're in good company. You don't need to dress a certain way. You don't need to know a certain number of scriptures before we're acceptable before God. He's after a heart that is seeking him, even in our brokenness. Jesus delights in this wholehearted faith. He also delights in persistent faith. I don't know if there was a discussion amongst the, the friends as why don't we try another day? Or when they got up to the roof, they had second thoughts and thought, 
let's not do this. I really don't want to get my hands dirty. I'm, I'm tired and there's a game on tonight. Let's just come back another time. But the end result was we're going now. We're going to Jesus and we're not going to stop. We don't stop when people are blocking our way or staring at us when we start to destroy the roof, thinking that we're crazy or just plain rude. And in seeking to follow Jesus, we today can equally be knocked off course by worrying too much about what others may think. Or if people think I'm a freak for reading the Bible or, or praying. But God loves persistent faith, and it's often in challenges that we learn to press in. It's here we grow in the determination to not let anything get between us and Jesus. Now, if you think back to March, April last year, one of the things that was actually quite nice about the first lockdown was that everything stopped. Anyone else feel that? There's a big pause put on life, and where life was so busy, suddenly the diary was empty. And amidst all the, uh, the difficulties of the time, that was one thing I think that many people appreciated. But as slowly life's got busier and busier, more things are crowded in. As our busyness increases, we're to be like these four guys. Don't let anything get between you and Jesus. And break some roofs if necessary. Be persistent. Don't let anything stop us coming from him, even in the busyness of life. And I wonder where we might need to hear this challenge today. Has our walk with Jesus become just an add-on to our already busy lives? Or is it a daily priority that we are radically following after him? This is not a place of, of condemnation but it's an opportunity to pause and honestly examine our hearts. Because as a result of their bold action, Jesus saw their faith and real transformation came to their friends. When we press into him, when we hold on to him in faith, then there are huge responses and results. The faith of the friends also highlights the importance of community. They brought him to Jesus together. There was no way they could do it by themselves. They needed all four of them to carry him. I was reading in this past week that a fifth of adults under 35 say that they have only one or no close friends. A fifth of adults say under 35 say they have only one or no close friends. And this proportion has tripled in the last 10 years. Also, those 18 to 24 are three times more likely to distrust their neighbours than those aged 65 or over. This points to a growing loss of community, and it's why we need to be fighting for it together. This is why we're committed to gathering. You may think it's easier not to get together. Then we wouldn't have to worry about whether we should mask or not mask, or to give the right amount of distance or none at all. But we navigate these challenges because we want to be fostering a community that is going after radical faith. And this needs to be worked out together. It cannot be done long term, on our own, sitting on the sofa, in our PJs, watching a church meeting. As nice as that is sometimes. We need to be together. This man was carried. And there are times when we carry others, when they are struggling, where they have hit hard times. And there are times when we ourselves are carried. And we do need to make ourselves vulnerable enough to admit that we haven't got it all together. 
and not pretend that everything is okay. Radical faith only really grows in real gospel community. And that's why we'll keep pressing into community together, whether it's Sundays, whether it's life groups, whether it's community Bible reading. It's why we're encouraging people to serve on a Sunday, not only so that we can put on a a great opportunity for us to come and worship together, but often community grows when you're serving alongside someone else. So I'd echo Vicky's encouragement to get involved, if you can, in serving on Sundays. These are not the only ways to, to build community, but these things are tools which help us to build together. So we're looking for radical faith. Next, I want us to see a radical gospel response was made. Put yourself in that room for a moment. One minute you're listening to Jesus teach, and the next, suddenly a hole is appearing in the roof above you. What do you think if right now a a hole appeared and there are four faces looking down at you? I wonder what what response, tell you, what what response would you have? Anyone shout out, what would you feel if that happened? Help, yeah. Anything else? What's going on? Yeah, curious. There might be some that think admiration, like, yes, these people are determined to to get to Jesus. There might be, um, some of us are frustrated, like, we are so good at queuing. This person has jumped the queue. They're getting in ahead of me. That is not fair. Or there might be those who think, it's going to take a lot of hoovering up. Who's going to clean up all this mess? Who's going to pay? Depending on our viewpoints, we'll have a different response to what happened. And then I wonder, what would you expect to be happening next? So, hole open, man lying on a mat, obviously cannot walk in front of Jesus. What would we expect to happen? Well, in our minds, there's obvious. There's an obvious need. He can't walk. But Jesus says something different. He says, son, your sins are forgiven. I wonder what you think about that response. You may be thinking, actually, he's bottled it. If he said, get up and walk, and then he didn't, then everyone would know that Jesus can't heal. How can you really know if their sins are forgiven? Has Jesus just kind of dodged the issue here? Well, there's a few things that are happening At the time, Jesus was speaking to a context where sin and disease were often linked in the minds of the hearers. Rabbis believed that there was no sickness without sin. And many Jews believed that if you were sick, God was angry with you. Sickness was therefore seen often as a punishment. Now, it's important to note that Jesus' statement of forgiveness includes no suggestion that the suffering of this man was linked to sin. Jesus' pronouncement is a recognition that someone can only be genuinely whole when the chasm of sin is healed and God forgives their sins. Sickness, disease, and death are the consequences of the sinful condition of all humanity, and every healing is driving back death and the invasion of sin. William Lane says this, healing is a gracious movement of God into the sphere of withering and decay. So we're to see that all sickness is a result of the fall, when creation was subjected to frustration and the power of sin being allowed to have some uh, dominion in the world. Scripture does not teach that all sickness is the result of a specific sin. But there are times when our own sinful actions or the actions of others can bring out an impact on on us and those around us. So what Jesus is doing here is saying that I have dealt with your greatest need, the forgiveness of sins. And I don't know how that man would have felt lying before Jesus. Jesus says, uh, your sins are forgiven. 
He may have said, that's great, but I need to be able to walk so that I can go to work, so I can feed and provide for my family. Because our biggest felt needs aren't always the most important ones. Since January, I've been struggling with a frozen shoulder. So this one's been causing me quite a lot of problems, not able to sleep and regular pain. And it brings a real impact on the ability to do everyday life. And many of you here will know to a much greater degree the challenge of doing life with levels of pain and sleep deprivation. Now, if after waiting weeks for an appointment to see a doctor, what if I went to them and they said to me, your sins are forgiven. What would our response be? Saying, that's great, but that's not really why I'm here. I need help with this shoulder. But these things that may be challenging us aren't our greatest needs, nor was the ability to walk the greatest need for this man. This isn't the main reason why Jesus came. Mark 10, verse 45 says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Our sin, our putting ourselves first and our desire to live life our way, according to our rules, rather than submitting to God, has put a wedge between us and God that has eternal consequences. The pain and the challenges we face in this life are not to be minimized that they are to be set in the right perspective of the eternal consequences of sin and separation from God. This desire to go our own way is exemplified by the teachers of the law. They're watching him closely, wanting to see him make a small mistake. They're there to make sure everyone keeps the rules as they see them and hand out spiritual parking tickets whenever they see a violation. They're all law and no grace. Their sights are set on Jesus, and they immediately pick up on what Jesus has said. They say, you can't say that. Only God can forgive sins. This is blasphemy. And they're both totally right and completely wrong. Only God can truly forgive sins. Only someone who is divine could live the perfect life, die in our place, and take the punishment for our sin and death. They're correct. Only God can forgive sins. But they say that Jesus is blaspheming, saying that he's God when he's only a man. And this is completely, completely wrong. This is a, a radical response and a wrong response, but it is a logical one. C.S. Lewis famously said that if someone went around doing the things Jesus did and saying the things he said, you only have three options. He's mad, he's bad, or he's God. The teachers of the law chose option two. Jesus is bad. He's pretending to be God when he isn't. We need to see the radical nature of response to Jesus, to see that considering Jesus, isn't, considering Jesus as just a nice guy with good teaching isn't actually an option. We can't say it doesn't matter what you believe about Jesus. He hasn't left that option open to us. And we need to be breaking down some roofs in our own lives so that we can see clearly who Jesus is and making a radical response to the gospel. Breaking down fear, apathy, doubts, helping others to, to break down roofs too so that they can see Jesus clearly and make a gospel response. Jesus knows the thoughts of the teachers of the law. He knows our thoughts and actions. 
He chose to come and give his life for us in a radical act of love and grace. Pastor and author Richard Kokin says, for God to allow such a sacrifice is grace. For God to provide such a sacrifice is amazing grace. But for God to become such a sacrifice is grace beyond our wildest dreams. For God to become such a sacrifice is grace beyond our wildest dreams. This is the gospel, and it calls for a radical response. What's our response today? Let's continue read from verse 8. Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. The crucial point here is in verse 9, where we see the radical authority of Jesus displayed. It says, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to get up and walk? In this statement, it's implied that the former is easier, because as we looked at earlier, you can't prove sins are forgiven, but everyone can see whether this man is able to start walking or not. So to, to demonstrate his power and authority, Jesus heals the paralyzed man to show that he has authority not to forgive sins and to bring release. Jesus displaces authority to heal and to save. And that's true today. Notice that in verse 10, Jesus refers to himself as the son of man. This picks up a the use of the phrase in the Old Testament prophetic book, Daniel. It's Daniel 7, verse 13, says, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was, was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. By using this title and alluding to this prophecy, showing that the man Jesus is also the one with all power and authority. Jesus is both fully man and fully God. He has the power to heal and the authority to forgive sins. His kingdom is everlasting and we see it breaking in all around us. Now, if we believe that Jesus is fully God, then we can expect for people to be healed. And many people here today have either experienced it themselves or know others who have been healed. And so I love us to be stirring our faith and have that expectation that we'll see God at work in his healing power in our midst. But we need to be praying for it to happen. Let's be bold in our faith and break through some roofs in prayer because there is a simple equation the more you pray for people to be healed, the more healings we will see and the opportunity to give God glory. We have an opportunity for this at the end, to pray for healing. But there is also a more difficult question. If he has authority and power, why aren't people healed every time we pray for them in the name of Jesus? Why does God allow those we love to become ill? And this is a hard question to grapple with. 
but we never want to sweep challenges under the carpet. We're to come to God with our real questions. The story of Lazarus in John 11 is helpful to us here. Jesus hears that his friend Lazarus was ill, but Jesus delayed in going to see him. By the time he got there, Lazarus had been dead a few days. His sisters, Mary and Martha, are distraught. When Jesus arrives, they say, if only you had come sooner. Rebecca McLaughlin, in her book, Confronting Christianity, says, Jesus frequently healed strangers. He even healed long distance. But this time, when his closest friends cry out, he waits. This is the first reality with which Christians must grapple. Sometimes we call for Jesus through our tears, and he does not come. You might be there now. You might be wondering, God, why are you not responding to my prayer? Why do you not heal when I desperately call on you? Well, Rebecca McLaughlin continues, Jesus saying, as you stand here in your desperate grief, your greatest need is not to have your brother back again, is to have me. Your greatest need is not to have your brother back again, is to have me. And so our greatest need is not to have a body that works properly or friends and, and family in, in good health or a bank account full of money or a life that looks successful to other people. Our greatest need is Jesus. And he's inviting us into this relationship. Now, Jesus draws near in suffering. He weeps at the death of Lazarus, even though he knows that he's going to shortly raise him from the death, uh, raise him from the dead. Physical healing is important and even urgent, but spiritual healing is ultimate. Does Jesus heal every disease? Ultimately, from an eternal perspective, yes, he does. But from our current vantage point, not every sickness is healed. In this life, not every disease is healed, but this doesn't mean that God is not in control. God joins in our suffering. He weeps. He comes alongside in compassion. And we to remember that God has all authority, all wisdom, and all power. If God doesn't deliver us from the situation, he's always with us and gives us everything that we need to walk through it. In each painful moment, we can also look forward to a future hope that does not disappoint as we trust in his, his radical authority and love. Finally, I want us to see a radical praise erupts in verse 12. It says, he got up, the man got up, took his mat and walked out in full view of all of them. This amazed everyone. And they praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this. The man gets up and walks. He's fully and incredibly healed. And this produces a spontaneous act of praise in those around him. Because when we see God at work, we praise. A few weeks ago, our youngest, Joel, got a telescope for his birthday. And this week, we were looking at the moon. And I've never actually looked at the moon through a telescope. But it's incredible to see all the, the craters and the different facets of the, of the face of the moon. And when you see it, there's just a natural response to go, wow, that's amazing. That's incredible. When we see more of who God is, it does exactly the same. It provokes wonder, and we worship him. God is seeking worshippers. We read that right at the very beginning of our gathering today. 
And Jesus has made a way so that we can know right relationship with God and worship him in spirit and in truth. And this produces more wow moments, whether it's enjoying creation or thinking of the work of salvation based on Jesus' finished work on the cross. Or the fact that the Spirit is with us now, living inside of us. Or how God guides our decisions in life. Worshippers are those who don't just exclaim praise once, but those who live it out with lives devoted to Jesus. Showing the same determination to get to Jesus as those four friends breaking through the roof. Because we do need to fight for it. Fight to see God at work all around us. Be intentionally looking for it and not distracted by the things of this world. Fight to continue to gather as his people in whatever ways that we're able to. Fight to spend time alone with our Father in the busyness of life, as Jesus did. It's interesting tonight as you read through the Gospels that as Jesus got busier, he withdrew more, not less. And often it works the other way around for us, doesn't it? As life gets busy, you think, ah, I'm just going to skip time praying, uh, reading my Bible. But Jesus makes it a priority to withdraw and be with his Father. We're also to fight to see other people come to this place of praise. Jesus says in Matthew 5, 16, Let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. How we live should cause other people to come to this place of radical praise as well. This crowd followed Jesus. They were amazed. They praised God. This is good. The message of Jesus is relevant to all people and to all time. We should expect it to be popular, but it needs to go deep and not just be on our own terms. As Jesus' popularity grew, so did the opposition. The call for a disciple is to take up our cross, not just agree with Jesus when it fits with our worldview, with what we believe. Radical praise works out in radical submission to Jesus and living the way that he prescribes. If we say that he is God, then it follows that we should be all in when following him. Notice that there are huge crowds when Jesus is healing and and doing miracles. But contrast this when he comes to the cross, when everyone has scattered. Crowds come, but not all repent and surrender fully to him. Because proximity to Jesus doesn't necessarily mean devotion to Jesus. Crowds may come and observe, but disciples are all in and committed to action. So let me ask as I close, what response do you need to make today? Jesus wants to provoke in us a radical response of faith. Because when you see who he is, you'll break through roofs to get to him and make sure nothing stands in our way. We read in Community Bible, those who are following that program on Thursday in John 6, verse 66. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. The disciples recognized that there was nowhere else to go. And there's an invitation to look to Jesus, to see his authority, to forgive and to heal, and then to make a response of faith. Jesus isn't looking for great accomplishments, 
but total devotion and a desperation for him. Jesus' mission was to come to seek and to save the lost. We don't need to have it all together. We only need to keep looking to Jesus and follow where he is working and to make a response of faith. In a moment, I'd love to pray and give the opportunity for, for two things. First of all, to commit our lives to Jesus, to make this response. It might be that you've never made this response before, and I'd love to give you that opportunity. Or it might be that today, you know, I need to say again, yes, Jesus, I'm all in, I'm yours. And then I'm going to give an opportunity um, for God to do a work of healing. I'm going to pray that his healing power will be at work in us today. So can I invite you to stand? If the band could come back up, that would be great. Lord Jesus, we thank you that in your name there is all power and authority. We thank you that you have come to seek and save the lost. And we thank you that we can know you here today. I pray that we'll be those that are making a response of faith as we see more of who you are. Let's just keep our, our eyes closed. And if you know that you need to make a response to Jesus, either for, for the first time or you need to make a, a recommitment, why don't you just raise a hand, just as every eye is closed, just raise a hand. There's a sign to God to say, yes, I'm all in. If that's, if that's you, just uh, repeat this prayer after me. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you are God and that you have made a way for my sins to be forgiven and for me to live eternally with you. I'm sorry for how I go my own way. I'm sorry for my sins. I trust now in your saving work on the cross. And now we pray, Holy Spirit, come and fill me that I may live for your glory. Amen. Amen. Just, again, keep our eyes closed. I'd love to give an, an opportunity to pray for healing. Again, if, if you know that you need healing or love to Jesus to do a work of healing in your life today, again, just raise a hand and we're going to pray. Lord, we call on you, the one in whom there is all power and authority. We speak to every sickness in the name of Jesus. Say, be healed. We call on the one who has made the moon and the stars, the earth, the universe, the one who has all power. We say, won't you come now, bring freedom, bring release, bring life, so that you may be glorified, so that we can see that you are the one that brings wholeness. We ask this now.
bring healing in the name of Jesus. Amen.